Thanks be to God. Have you ever been caught during a storm, like in the middle of a storm, just, just by raise of hands to see if we're all like in, in the same boat here? How many of us have been caught in the middle of a storm? Like you were out when it started storming. So uh, like many of you, Amos and I were planning a trip uh, a few months ago to get out of town and because of COVID, didn't really work out. So uh, for our anniversary in May, we decided to just enjoy a day here in Marion together and it was just a nice quiet day. And we decided to go for a bike ride. And so if you've been on the Cardinal Greenway, you know that it's just a beautiful stretch to go biking. So we decided to, to go biking on, on the Greenway out. We live here in Marion, and we rode out to Gas City. So we're biking along, and it's just a beautiful day, beautiful morning. And we get out there and kind of go around the park a little bit. And then on our way back, out of nowhere, it seems, these dark clouds start rolling in. And mind you, at this point, we're about like 15, 20 minutes away from home. So we just kind of start pedaling a little faster, a little faster, and the clouds start coming in a little faster and a little faster, and, and we pass by some guys on the bike trail, and, and they're going like they're booking at home, and we're thinking, okay, we got to pick up the speed here because we're going to get caught in the middle of this storm. And so we're riding, we're riding, and then it starts raining, which like was fine and, and kind of adventurous and fun for like a minute, and then we realize this isn't so great. Because if you've ever tried to ride a bike in the rain, you know that the raindrops kind of have a way of going straight into your eyeballs. So we're riding, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, this isn't fun anymore, and we're still 15 minutes out, and it's like pelting rain. Like we get back, and we're wondering if our, our branches from our trees are going to fall off. Like this kind of storm, and we're caught in the middle of it. See, in that moment, as I'm like squinting through the raindrops and trying to like not drown from rain going in my face, there is absolutely no denying that we were, in fact, in a storm, right? Like when you're in the middle of a storm, there's no denying there's a storm. Seems pretty obvious, right? But... Here's the counterpoint to that. When you're not in the storm, you're often not thinking about the storm, right? Like you don't walk out when it's a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky, and walk out and say, I wonder if it's going to storm today. Like typically the thought doesn't even really cross your mind. Or, or you don't walk out on like an 80-degree clear day and see people in Meyer stocking up for a blizzard, although... In the year 2020, you never know. But typically, you don't see that if you just walk out on a nice day because people aren't thinking about the storm when it's clear out, which is fine and dandy when we're talking about physical storms. The problem, though, is that sometimes we act the same way with spiritual storms. We don't think about spiritual storms, spiritual battles, when we aren't in them. We kind of go through life knowing in the back of our head that it's, it's potentially out there. Scripture warns us that, that we will face opposition. Even Pastor Chris talked about this last week. But we kind of go through life not really 
thinking about it, unless you find yourself in the middle of a storm, you find yourself under fire, uh, battling temptation or an addictive sin, Satan throws discouragement or doubt your way, and you start to kind of feel the waters rising, the raindrops against your face, and then it starts picking up, and suddenly you feel your world is spinning, and you can't anchor yourself. You can't seem to find solid ground to stand on, and and you realize there's a storm raging around you and inside of you, and things start falling apart. And at that point, there's no denying the storm. See, it takes us getting into the storm, being in the middle of it, to sometimes realize there is, in fact, a storm. And in those moments, kind of like Amos and I riding our bikes, it's kind of hard sometimes to even think about anything else but the storm. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul seems extremely keenly aware that there is, in fact, a storm, a spiritual storm, a spiritual war, even a spiritual enemy. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil. And so this is why, in the book of Ephesians, he encourages the church at Ephesus to put on your spiritual armor. That's what we often call the armor of God. Because he's incredibly mindful and aware that this is a threat worth his and really worth our attention. He knows that this is out there. And so that's why he says, take up the armor of God. But he's not only thinking about this this storm. He also is very aware and thinking about the end goal of this storm. Like, it's not, it's not enough to just think of the storm. He's thinking about what, what is the purpose of, of this storm, or why am I, what should I be doing in the midst of this storm? See, the end goal of a storm is to stand firm. That's why he says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, that you may stand firm. See, he wants to see the church growing and joined together and and being built up, which are all great, but they're also characteristic of something that is first and foremost standing. Like, you can't have those things if you aren't first standing. You don't see a tree if you're outside walking and you see a tree that's been uprooted and fallen on its side, and you don't look at that tree and say, wow, look at that tree grow. No, you say, well, that tree's gone. Or you don't see a building that's been just leveled by an earthquake and say, well, look at that. Any day now, it's going to be a full-fledged building. No, you, you see that building and it's gone. Like, you can't have a building that is standing. You can't have a building that is growing and joined together and being built up if it's not first standing. It has to be standing to do those things. And so Paul, and more importantly, God wants us to stand firm. See, that's typically the hope 
of a storm, if you, thinking back to if you've been caught in the middle of a storm, the goal is to not only survive the storm, but to be able to withstand the storm, to come out on the other side of the storm intact. No one sits in the middle of a storm and says, I really hope I don't make it out. I really hope I I just don't get through this storm. No one sits in a storm and says, I hope that by the time this storm is done, I'm I'm done. Thinking back to Amos and I on, on our bikes, we didn't bike ride in, in that storm and think, not, not to be morbid here, but, you know, I really hope as an anniversary gift to my husband, I can really make till death do us part happen right here and right now. Like, no one thinks that in the storm. The goal of the storm on the other side of it is to stand and withstand the storm. Right? Are you catching what I'm saying here? That, that's kind of the point, is we want to withstand the, fo- the storm. We want to stand through it. When we acknowledge the storm, or at the very least the impending storm, the end goal is for us to survive it and be left standing. Because here's the thing. The other option to that. The, the otherwise of that is that we'll be left whipped around in the wind. Paul says we'll be tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. See, the picture here implies like not just kind of like little waves lapping against the shore, but this is like agitated waters where it's like churning waves, surging waves, the kind of waves that if you were to fall in the water would sweep you away and sweep you under and you wouldn't be coming back up. And this is exactly what Pastor Chris was talking about last week. He was saying how there are so many different opinions today, so many different doctrines and teachings and political leanings, and it can feel at times like you're just being pulled back and forth by the waves of someone saying, well, you got to believe this, but then you got to believe this, but you can't believe this because that's not true, and you don't know this, and it's just this constant back and forth. And if you're caught in the middle of that, it can feel like you're just kind of swaying back and forth, and it's almost enough to make you feel sick. And then you throw into that this spiritual battle that is going on around us where Satan will do everything in his power to keep us from knowing God more. Because God wants us to know him more. He created us to know him, to want to know him. But then Satan will do everything he can to to pull us in the opposite direction. And so in the midst of all these waves and all these doctrines, and then you throw in Satan doing whatever he can, it's just enough to, like I said, make you feel sick. To lose sight of hope to lose sight of solid ground or the potential of solid ground and, and to think of this idea of standing firm as maybe just a little, little bit more than a dream, an unobtainable dream. And so if we acknowledge that the storm exists 
And our two options are, one, to be tossed to and fro and to be thrown in the midst of the waves, or to stand firm. I'm going to be camping out in the stand firm section because I'm not interested in being seasick. And so the question we have to answer then is how do we stand firm in this wavy, wind-tossed world? Or maybe another way to think of it, how can we be sure our lives are rock solid so that when trouble comes, and it will, we can be left standing? How can we be sure? I recently heard a story about a place in Mexico Beach, Florida, and there's a picture of it up on the screen. It's, it's a place known as the Sand Palace. It's a beautiful four-bedroom, four-and-a-half bath home right on the water, multiple like deck areas you can see there that you can just sit out, enjoy looking over these pristine white sand beaches. Um, it's just a beautiful inside-and-out place set up for, for people to rent out, for family vacations, uh, kind of one of those places from the pictures I looked at where it seems out of every window there's a perfect view, not a bad view in the whole house, and even though I've never been there, it seems like a, just a beautiful house. Every room is all decorated in its own little aesthetic, but the whole house still seems to fit together like one of those show houses that is not like my house, and, and it's just beautiful. And here's, here's the big part, not one, but two kitchens, everything that you need for a perfect family getaway at the beach. But what it's really become famous for is the fact that in 2018, it withstood the Category 4 Hurricane Michael that swept through the area. So here's a, a picture after the destruction of the hurricane. And if you Google this house, you'll find articles and videos and even just uh, studies, architectural studies, about how this house managed to withstand this category for hurricane, really virtually untouched. I mean, you can see in this picture, everything around it, except for in the back there, further from the water, I mean, this, everything around it is just flattened. But somehow this house managed to stay standing. And afterwards, people were uh, interviewing the, the owner who uh, had originally had this house built just a couple years earlier, and they're just saying, how on earth did your house stay standing? Like, everything else is flattened. It doesn't make sense why there, there's literally, like, maybe some cosmetic damage, if, if even, and that's it. It's, it's standing. It's firm. How, how did your house stay firm? You know what they said? They said, we wanted to build it for the big one. We wanted to build it for the big one. We built the house with this big storm in mind because they'd lost a house to a hurricane before. They knew that the devastation of that. And so they built this house with that storm kind of in the back of their heads. Everything from the way the foundation was built to the supplies that were used. They limited the number of windows in this building, even though it looks like there's a lot. They limited how many, um, just so that debris flying around in the midst of a storm couldn't fly in the house and destroy the inside. Uh, they minimized the, the space 
under the roof so that if wind came sweeping in, it couldn't sweep in and rip the roof off the top. And on top of all this, they built above and beyond what the building codes of their area required. See, in this area, they're, they're used to hurricanes happening. And so they've actually built into their building codes. Your house, if you choose to build it, must withstand up to 130 miles per hour winds. And they looked at that code and they threw it out the window and said, we're going to build our house to be able to withstand 250 miles per hour wind. And the owner of the house said in an article, at every point from pilings to the roof and everything in between, when it came time to make a decision about the level of material or what to use, we didn't pay attention to code. We went above and beyond code and we asked the question, what would survive the big one? And we consistently tried to build it for that. See, they built this house specifically with the storm in mind to be able to withstand, as they called it, the big one. Now, what if, what if we built our lives with the same mindset? What if we built our lives with the storms in mind? Not knowing when it would hit, but knowing it's out there. See, suddenly we wouldn't be building our lives based off of our own preferences or our own styles or whatever happens to be in and trendy right now. We wouldn't be uh, building our lives uh, based off of what other people thought we should do or off of their expectations of us. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be building uh, off of, off of a, a particular political party or uh, social concept or, or ideology because if we're really honest, those are constantly changing and those aren't stable. What if we actually started building our lives in a way that would help us withstand the storms spiritually with an absolute certainty that we could, in fact, stand firm? And what if we desperately sought out those things that would actually help us stand firm? What would we need, just start thinking even now, what would we need in order to do this? See, because we'd have to start changing the way we think. In the first chapter of Ephesians, in verses 15 through 23, Paul offers a prayer to the church at Ephesus. We know it's to the church because he says that right at the beginning of the book. This is for the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. And when you first read this prayer here at the beginning of, of Ephesians, it sounds like a list of blessings and, and well wishes and, and things he's praying like, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And, and he goes on kind of in that manner, prays things like, I pray for uh, your eyes to be enlightened. I pray that you would know the hope 
God has called you to. The riches and immeasurable greatness of his power. And, and when we first read this, we could be tempted to read it as, as just kind of a, a, a nice prayer, uh, the blessings that Paul is praying down on, on the people. Kind of like what we write in, in a, a card that we're sending to someone, like a, a well-wishing card. We write things like, uh, happy birthday, I hope you have a beautiful day. We don't really have any control over whether or not it's a beautiful day. We just are hoping it. Or a uh, happy, happy anniversary, congratulations, uh, may you have a prosperous marriage. It, it's a nice thought. It's a good well wish, but really there, there's nothing we can do about that. We can't guarantee that happens. We're just kind of writing it to, to be kind because we know that's what you write in a card. And so it'd be easy at first to read through this passage and, and kind of see it as, as some of that, where it's, it's some nice thoughts, some, some good things, some, some well wishes. But what if knowing the end goal that Paul is writing with here to stand firm, what if we read this list with that end goal in mind? Now, follow with me here. What if we read this list saying, I know that the whole goal of this, the end goal is to stand firm. So, knowing that, what is this prayer actually offering? See, suddenly this isn't just a list of blessings or, or well wishes Suddenly, this is a list of our building supplies. These are things that Paul knows the Ephesians are going to need if they're going to stand firm. But not only that, these are things that we actually have access to which will actually help us stand firm. Why? Because although Paul is, yes, praying these things down on the people, these are all things that God has already done. These are things that are already available to us. See, listen as I read this, 16 through 23. For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Now, if you are uh, an English person, a grammar person, you would recognize that there's a lot of past tense things in this passage. See, that's because they've already happened. God's already made a way for those things. I mean, these aren't just like idealistic uh, wishes floating around like bubbles being blown around in the wind. These are things, this is a list of things that Jesus Christ has actually already accomplished and provided us access to. See, because of Christ, we have access to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of wisdom. Because God provided a way, we can know Him. He has already given us hope. He has already created a glorious inheritance for us, and we have access to those riches right now through prayer. He is right now immeasurably great and powerful. He has already proven his might because Jesus Christ did not stay dead. And not only that, he has demonstrated already that he can not only withstand the storms, he's bigger than the storms. He is above the storms. He created the storms. He is above all things, all things. And all things have been put under his feet, including the storms. See, when we begin with the storm in mind and this, this end goal in mind, we can read this prayer and we realize that God has already provided us with everything we need to stand firm. He has provided for us himself as the firm foundation that will not crumble. All we have to do is actually take hold of the supplies he's already provided for us and just build. Just use those things that he has already provided access to. Set aside the things that scripture has said will not stand firm. Set aside the things that scripture has said will be destructive and worthless to us. And pick up the things that that he has said, trust me, this will work. It's tried and true. I know what I'm talking about. These are foolproof supplies and methods. These will get you through the big one. I, God, will get you through the big one. See, how do we... Stand firm? A super simple answer. We build on the solid rock that has withstood the test of time, which is Jesus Christ. Knowing that the storms will come our way, knowing that if we aren't firmly grounded when the storm comes, we will be tossed in the wind. And then we take hold of the supplies that he has already made available for us. 
the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the ability to know him and his ways, the hope that he offers, the greatness and power and might of his strength. These are the things that we have access to. And you might say, okay, Jessica, that's great, but how do we actually do this? Because I, I, I'm not like a, a, a big picture thinker. I want to know like the concrete building blocks of what does this look like. I need something tangible of how do I do this? How do I take those, those supplies, take hold of them, and actually do what you're asking me to do? And that's a great question. That's a really great question, which, spoiler alert, we will answer over the next several weeks, because over the next several weeks, we'll continue looking at some of these uh, supplies and, and practical building techniques that Paul offers throughout the book of Ephesians in order to build spiritually solid lives. Things that will actually practically ground us deeper in Christ individually and also to help us build stronger as, as a body, as a church. But here's the thing, and this is why this starting point is so important. None of those things that we're going to talk about apply if we haven't first begun with the storm in mind. If we don't fully acknowledge the force that we're up against, the need to build accordingly, if we expect to stand firm, and the solid rock foundation who is the only one that can guarantee our stand. None of that that we're going to talk about matters if we aren't first standing firm. Now, this might seem like a simple question, but I've realized sometimes the simplest questions are the ones that most need to be asked. So I'm going to ask it anyways. But have you placed your life firmly on Jesus Christ, the solid rock? Have you placed your life firmly on Jesus Christ, the solid rock? Have you recognized that apart from him, nothing else can bring you through the storms of life unscathed? Nothing and no one else has proven guaranteed power and victory over the spiritual forces of evil. Because here's the thing, if you haven't, 2020 is a great time to do that. Because we don't know what the rest of 2020 holds. And we've got to figure out how to stand firm. Guys, I'm tired of seeing the church, not, not our church, but the church crumbling under pressure. We've got to figure out how to stand firm, and, and 2020 is a great time to learn. See, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret here. Kind of get into the mind of, of a preacher here. See, often towards the end of a sermon here, the preacher is thinking, okay, so what is it that I'm asking the people to do? Because in the book of James, it says that we should not merely listen to the word, 
but we should also do what it says. And so as a preacher, often I get to this point of the sermon, I'm like, okay, so what's the application? What is it that I'm asking people to do so that they're not just like, oh, that was a great word, and then they leave and they don't do anything with it? And so as I started thinking about that question, I was trying to think, what, what is it that I'm asking the church to do with this message? I very strongly sensed the Lord saying, just ask him to trust me. Just ask the church to trust that I can withstand the storms. And I, God, can be the solid rock that they need to stand on. And, and, and it seems like such a simple thing. And I, I kind of wrestled with God, like, are you sure that's, that, that's, all, that's all I'm asking? Just ask him to trust me. So have you, have you placed your trust on him? Have you placed your whole life on him? Now, in asking that question, there's kind of two sides to it. The first is, have you ever done this? Have you ever in your life taken a step of faith and said, God, I place my life on you? I believe who you say you are. I believe that you did what you say you did. And I don't know exactly what it looks like to follow you, but I trust that you are able to be my solid rock, and I want to follow you. Because if you haven't done that, I want to invite you to do that for the first time today. And I would love to personally talk with you. Any of our pastors would love to talk with you afterwards about what it looks like to actually follow through on that. And so that's the first side of this question is, have you ever done that? But the second side is, have you placed your life firmly on Jesus Christ and it applies to any of us sitting in the room or online. And it's, have you placed your life on Jesus Christ? Or have you tried to find solid ground somewhere else? See, because trusting God isn't just like a once and done thing. It's, it's a continual journey. And, and right now, I'm not talking about, like, salvation. I'm talking about just the act of continually trusting in God. Because it's an everyday choice to place our trust continually on him. Not on our money. Not on our job. Not on our friends, spouse, or family. It's a choice every morning that we wake up to say, I'm going to continue placing my trust on Jesus Christ. The only one who can uphold us and, and pull us through the storms. Because sometimes as Christians, we're tempted to try to take matters into our own hands, aren't we? If nothing else, maybe this is just a confession for me. I know I am. We're tempted to, to think that we have the recipe to a rock-solid life that will withstand the storms, maybe even better than, than God knows himself. We're tempted to think that way. We may not say it, but as we start kind of digging under the surface, we realize it's there. And so the same question applies. Have you placed your life firmly 
on Jesus Christ. Now in just a second here, the worship team's going to make their way back up, and we're going to close our time of worship today singing the song Cornerstone. And as we sing, I want you to pay careful attention to the words that we are singing. See, because sometimes we have this really bad habit of singing words and not paying attention to what they're saying. I get on to the students all the time about this. I say, are you listening to the words that you're singing along with? Because if you did, you might want not want to sing along with those words. Because sometimes a song, we know it or it's catchy, and, and so we sing along with it, but we don't actually think about what it's saying. And the same is actually true of, of worship songs as well. Sometimes we, we sing along with it because we've heard it on the radio. We've sung it a, a, a number of times, and, and oh, that's my favorite one. But we don't actually take time to sit and think about what is it that I'm actually saying. And sometimes we sing worship songs, but our hearts aren't actually in it. And that's part of why it's so important that we often pray, Lord, prepare us for worship. Prepare our hearts to meet and encounter you. And so as we head into the song, I want to challenge you to use this time as, as a bit of confession. Use this time to listen and read the words that we're being led in. And I want to challenge you to do something. As you think through, read through the words as they come on the screen, if you can't honestly say them, if you can't honestly in your heart say, I, I'm 100% on board with what I'm singing, then don't sing. <gasps> oh my goodness, don't sing in church? What? I'm not saying don't, I, I don't want you to worship. I don't want you to sing. That, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you can't read these words and say, I am 100% on board with this, then don't sing. Because I think God isn't interested in just our lip service, in just saying the right words at the right time. When the guitar starts playing, we know we should sing. God wants us to worship with sincere hearts. And so as you listen to these words and read through these words, if you can't honestly say them, then don't. Now, what I would ask you to do, if you sense, all right, I, don't, I can't truthfully, honestly say these words, then like I said, I want you to use this time as a time of confession and lay before God, I, I can't say these words, God. I, I'm, something in my heart is not being honest. Something in my heart is not trusting in you. And I confess that. I lay that before you, God. And as you, after you've taken some time to pray, if you feel like you've laid that before the Lord and you're, you're ready to, to join in in singing, then do that. Because when we confess, God is faithful to transform our hearts. And so take some time to, to say, okay, God, am I, can I say this honestly? Or am I just lying to everyone around me, lying to myself? But if you read the words on the screen and, and you say, yes, I, I'm there. Maybe tomorrow I won't be, but today, right now, I am there. I, I am fully trusting 
in God. I, I, I want to trust him with my life and I'm doing everything I know that I can to trust him. I'm, I'm there. Then you sing at the top of your lungs. You sing as loud as you can, even if you're, you're in the back of the room. I want to hear it from here if you're on the camera, if you're at home. Sing so that your neighbors can hear you. Sing that at the top of your lungs and proclaim these truths that we're about to sing in agreement by singing. But if you can't, then don't. So I want you to take just a moment. I'll still invite you to stand, but take a moment to examine your heart and ask yourself, have I placed my life firmly on Jesus Christ? And let's join together in worship through not only singing, but also through prayer and confession. Would you stand and join?